Hello, reader. I'm Alex. I'm Kelly. And this is the The Lit Joy Joy Podcast. Podcast. This episode is brought to you by our Valeris Bookshelf Alley. If any product could be like bookmarked on your calendar, make it this one. We have sold out of this product uh, so quickly that we decided to bring it back, but it is as a pre-order. So the goal is to open it up for a sales window long enough for everyone who wants to buy it to be able to jump in and get it. Uh, the sales period is January 26th through February 19th, correct? Correct. And mark your calendar. I think if you go to our website, you can actually sign up to be notified. It's litjoycrate.com slash Valeris, V-E-L-A-R-I-S, which is a nod to the fact that the Bookshelf Alley takes place in Valeris during Starfall with Feyre and Rezand. It's just a very beloved little alley that fits right in between your books. It's beautiful. So make sure to go sign up to be notified and we out. We also want to tell you guys about our reading journal that we have in stock right now. This is one of my favorite items that we've ever created. It is something that we try to keep in stock at all times, and it's perfect right now with the new year happening. Um, It's a great way to keep track of your reading goals. There are so many different kinds of pages in there that are interactive. Um, We've got lots of fun pages for tracking the books you've read. You know, there's book to movies. There's Lots of pages where you can keep track of uh, the books from all over the world. I'm trying to yeah. remember that pages. Yeah, there's like, like world travel pages. Yeah. There's there's also like bookshelf pages where you can call it, fill in you your book titles in. and color them in. So it's just like a really beautiful way to interact with yeah. your reading. I love it because then you can really just keep track of your review, your star rating, your thoughts, a favorite quote, things like that as well. And these are perfect for book clubs. I actually did give these out to everyone in my book club last year. Everyone's very excited to start filling them out. So just wanted to remind everyone to go check out those reading journals. And they do come in several colors. And today we're excited to chat about Book Club Reads yeah. Part 3. I know we've had part one, part two, and we've delivered, I think, 14 books now. Yes. Um, All books that we would recommend for great deep discussion. Yes. Or you can use them for a book club. Agree. I'm all, we have the context of discussing these books in our book club. Yes. But in general, they're just fantastic books that I feel like you can have a great discussion about with just about anybody. Even if it's discussing with yourself (laughs) and your multiple personalities. That would be amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yes. So a lot of the books that made it on this list, uh, we feel like are books that you finish and you're like, I have to talk to somebody about this. Mm -hmm. And so this is an extension of that list. This is just part three of the next seven. I am sure we will continue this series on throughout the years that we do the Lit Joy podcast because we love book clubbing and we love talking about books. Duh. That's why we're here. And so (laughs) we'll keep it going. But we just wanted to wrap up kind of part one, two, and three, Mm -hmm. looking at past book clubs, ones we've loved. And so now we're on to, mm, let me think, it'd be 15 through 21 is what this episode will cover. I did it. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So first up, we talked about this book a little bit in another episode that was kind of based on a different topic. But just wanted to reiterate, The Invisible Invisible Life of Addie LaRue by V.E. Schwab. Highly recommend. Recommend V. Schwab yes. across the board. Yes. But this one, really love this mm-hmm. one. Now, we have read other books by V. E. Schwab in our book club specifically. Yes. And they're all delightful. But this book in particular was controversial, I feel yes. like, in our book club. I'm like, we. I, I want to give the summary about what the book is about as well. Yes. But it's fun. I've talked about this book with other people in other book clubs, and they have the same response, which is yes. just half of us loved it. Half of us had a harder time enjoying the book as much. Which is so interesting. I mean, both of us gave it a five stars. I think sometimes, so the the concept of the idea or the concept of the book is that the main character is um, in life circumstances Mm -hmm. in 1700 France. She's kind of forced to be married and she doesn't want that life. And so she makes a deal with the devil. And in this deal, she promises uh, or she essentially gives up the ability for people to remember who she is uh, Mm -hmm. in order to be able to live kind of immortal, to be immortal. The only being that can see her or remember her, everyone can see her, but they don't remember her once they look away. So once they no longer have her in the room with them, essentially, or, or her in their space, they forget her immediately. So she never gets really close to people except yeah. for the devil that she made the deal with. Mm-hmm. He can see her and witness her. So 
obviously it lends to these really interesting and beautiful questions about human psychology. Like, would you rather be forced to live a life that doesn't feel like you were meant for it, one that you feel forced into choices and be witnessed in it? Mm -hmm. Or would you rather be invisible but have, you know, it's like it, the freedom. Yes, to be whatever you want it to be. Yeah, because once she makes this deal, it's like an old god is how they describe yes. it, you know, but basically, essentially, it is the devil. Um, and he's the only person in her life who she has a relationship with yeah. that remembers her. So they have very interesting, twisted relationship, which is fascinating as well. But yet the story of like, just she lives for what, 3,000 years? She becomes immortal with the yes. devil. So she li- gets to live so many different lives and different versions of herself. And then, you know, the book takes place, isn't it like New York or something? Like yes, it's, current in, times. it's in New York, in Manhattan. Yeah, and um, she suddenly runs into somebody who does remember her after she turns, right? And, and she's like, that, that's the best part. I mean, yeah. it, it kind of happens quickly in the book, but um, you're just like, ah, yes, what a mm-hmm. great, what a great premise. Yeah. What a fantastic premise for a book. And it it just sparked so much good discussion of what do you want to be remembered for? Yes. And they talk a lot about the arts and music and things like that yes. as well in it, which was really fun to kind of go down because she's very artistic and yes. drawn to those type of people throughout yes. the whole book. But. And, you know, it has inspired some art to be made, which is very interesting. That's right. She has like a trail through history where yeah. she's like, they don't remember me that I inspired that painting or that sculpture or that song. Yes. Like she knows it's about her, but the people who wrote it don't. It's really beautiful. It's so incredibly like human too. Mm -hmm. Like you just feel things that you, that you weren't expecting to feel. At least I did reading this book. Um, You just, you feel her pain and you feel her loneliness. Like it's, it's very isolating. You, I, I just feel like, all of us have had that experience of feeling invisible. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's like you feel like someone can't witness you in your emotions or in your pain or, uh, I mean, all of us have felt not seen before. And so I felt like it was such a beautiful illustration of that idea. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so even if people were uncomfortable by the book and so they didn't, they, like it was polarizing, I, I feel like so many of the best books yeah. are in in those ways, you know, so I really loved it. And I also loved that it kind of took you on a little like it, it took you to several settings throughout history. So there's yeah. a little bit of that historical fiction, like France in the 1700s is a really dangerous place for a woman to be single and unremembered mm-hmm. where no one will like her family doesn't remember her. So she has to mourn the loss of her family immediately and their death. And so I'm like, it's worth just going on a self-exploration with it. Mm-hmm. I loved what you said, too, about it being a book about people who just don't feel seen. I was like, oh, duh. Like, it reminded me of some of my teenage years a little bit, too, you know, going through it and just feeling completely out of place in my family and absolutely not seen by anybody. Yeah. And I think there's that part of me that completely related to that subconsciously. I'm like, oh, that totally makes sense. This book, I think another reason it can be controversial for some book clubs is because it's magical realism. And anytime we talk about that, I think there's people who just like it and people who don't. Totally. You Isn't know? that such an interesting thing yeah. with that genre is um, I think there's a few genres that are just polarizing. Mm-hmm. I think uh, like horror is kind of yeah. a polarizing genre. Either people kind of have that that gene that makes you like love the thrill of horror or not. Yeah. Um, I think another one is magical realism, which is so funny because it's very non-threatening as a genre. Yeah. But some people hate that there's not an obvious structure around it. They're mm-hmm. like, be fantasy or be real. <laughs> and magical realism is just like, how about no? no? <laughs> how about I no? love it. I love magical realism. I always tell people who aren't used to it, I'm like, you literally just have to let go of the reins yeah, and just go with the flow of the book because you can't predict what's going to happen when there's magical realism yeah. involved. And that's, for me, I enjoy that. Yeah. So, it's like the symbolism is beautiful too, so... You know, I'm all we love number dose. Let's do it. So this number is dose. our second book or number 16 on the yes. whole list. I love this book for this book club. Is the Moment of Lift by Melinda Gates. Yes. And this book was obviously incredible for many reasons for us. This is a nonfiction. Um, this is a lot about feminism, activism, like and it's philanthropic efforts. Thank you. Yes. And it's Melinda's story about how she's like, obviously, we're rich, right? Like 
How can I help? She's on newsflash. We have money. <laughs> Bill Gates is my husband. Yeah. So what do you do when you have money and you want to help? And this mm-hmm. is like Melinda's story and like how she sort of stumbled into what could really help, right? Yes. In my mind. So to go back, Bill and Melinda, um, when they were married, she was, I think, a CFO. She was a high up executive um, at the same company as Bill. It could have been Microsoft, honestly. It could have been his company. I'm like, I can't remember the details. So someone, go ahead and Google that, listener. <laughs> um, but yeah, co-chair of the Bill and Melinda yeah, Gates Foundation. Yeah, so they or- got married, they fell in love. And then obviously, you know, Microsoft took off, very wealthy. And they wanted to start a foundation. And they did start the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, but they were running into some obstacles, yes. as is often the times when wealthy people from... Uh, a developed nation will go into these developing nations and just be like, here's money. Let's throw money at the problem, which, which, uh, so it the has reason, a place. It does. Well, okay. So I got my undergrad, um, a lot of my undergrad research was in the treatment of women and children, especially in developing nations. So I had like already kind of a passion for this topic. Yeah. But, um, one thing that people who are lucky enough to live in a developing nation don't always understand is that. There are so many cultures, customs, and then there's just a wide, vast, there's like a wide variety of problems mm-hmm. that are all occurring in this kind of ecosystem in these these countries that are just different than yours. Mm-hmm. And so um, oftentimes when you throw money at a problem, you're, first of all, determining it's a problem without having a conversation with the folks who live there who might have a totally different perspective of the problem. Yeah, And then um, money doesn't always lead to the appropriate solution. Um, And so what's interesting about this book is it's Melinda's um, exploration on what the women in these developing nations actually asked for. So they had a lot of money and Warren Buffett, I believe, gave the majority of his wealth to their foundation as well. Mm. And, um, and what they did with that money uh, really came down to talking to the local women and asking them all the things they wanted. And it was so interesting mm-hmm. to hear just this perspective that's so different than your own. In so many ways, women in these countries wanted the same thing as us. They wanted access to healthcare, access to birth control, mm-hmm. access to education for their kids, access to clean water and food. Yep. So like at a foundational level, humanity all wants access to those human rights. Yep. But this book was beautiful because she just very much humanized the experience of these people who are live very different lives than us. Yeah. And so I loved it. I thought it was, I was just like, yes. It, yeah. It was like a four or five star read for, I think everybody in yes. our book club. And this one wasn't as like controversial by any means. I think everyone was like, this book was incredible. This all makes sense, you know, and going on the journey with Melinda where she says it became increasingly clear if you want to lift up a society, you invest in the women. Yes. And, I, you know, we're both like, yes. It's so true, though. It's just, it makes sense. Why would you, when you oppress half of a population. I know. it. You cannot rise above these, you know, societal structures that yeah. make it difficult for people to get access to those, you know, basic rights. Yeah. So it was fascinating, again, because Melinda walks us through her journey. Of, like, yeah. We showed up. I think it was somewhere in Africa um, in the beginning of the book where they were trying to figure out like, how do we spend the money here? Then she starts talking with the locals, like you mentioned, the women to learn their culture and what their beliefs are and their value system and quickly realized that their number one problem is they didn't have any way to decide how big or small their families were in a sense because Mm -hmm. they didn't have any birth control. And so they they were in these poor states because they just had so many children. Yes. That they couldn't afford, to, in a sense, to keep. Well, they were like, I can afford for two of my six children to go to school. Exactly. And and so what's interesting about it is they received so much flack about like, they were like, oh, you're just trying. Basically, the negative backlash that I think they received was that like, oh, you're just trying to do population control of yeah. of these poor communities. And I think this book was a little bit of a res- Melinda's response to that, where she's like, no, we went there and we asked and these mothers, they want access to birth control so that they can provide a better life for their families. Because mm-hmm. when you invest in women, the reason why women elevate a society as a whole is because women always invest in their children's lives. Mm-hmm. They invest in their family. 
like that's not always the case when you hand money to men in cultures. Mm-hmm. I'm in the research is there. That's not just me, you know, being my little feminist self. That that is the research is there is that when you invest yeah. in women and educate and provide micro loans and provide birth control, they help their whole families elevate out of poverty. Yeah. All of their sons and daughters. So I'm just like, this book is just, I'm like, read it for your soul because it helps you to just ground yourself in where you fit into humanity. Mm -hmm. And that's always good. I know they also had, if I remember right, they also had to do a lot of, what's the word I want to use? They talked to the men as well. Yeah. We're talking about like, you got to share some of these responsibilities because the women literally from sunup to sundown never stop working especially yeah. in these like rural places. And the men were like, but why? And they literally had to educate them on the benefits of, you know, share the workload and here's why. And here's also, you know, how to help with your family and um, and how to bridge the gap on some of these things. Uh, and so that is where Melinda, you know, as she really got herself entrenched into the culture, was like, ah, this is actually how to help, you know, and that's yes. where it chucks through what they do with their foundation. So it's wonderful. It reminds me of the other book we read, the which one invisible something um um the one we read about oh, invisible women invisible women thank you mm-hmm. uh so it's another book we read very very oh, similar topic but also more broad than her book yes. it covers a lot of topics about how women are made invisible but yes. not maliciously it's no. it's a negligence of yeah. accounting for women one of the examples i think is kind of famous from that book or a little bit I don't know, like viral is just that seatbelts are designed for men. So women are more likely to die in car crashes because all the dummies are the size of men. And just the shift in like starting to pay attention to like women drive more of these cars and how do we do seatbelts and adjustable ones. And so it's a more broad book, but Mm -hmm. brilliant for book club. Oh, we had an incredible discussion on that one. Invisible Women. Like I said, it it's so well backed by research and it's all current research and it's worldwide. Like you mentioned, I think the author is actually from the UK, um, but she has stats remember. from all over the world. Multiple. Yes, she is from the UK. Yeah, yes. like so many good examples and stories about how if you invest in the women, once again, the entire society is uplifted, more profitable, it's just like better systems across the board, but they don't talk to the women. A lot of these groups are more male driven that make decisions for women. Yeah. And they're like, that didn't help us at all. Do you forgot? Like there was a one point, I think they went and built all these homes. Remember this? I'm trying to remember where. And they forgot the kitchens. They yeah. literally forgot to build they kitchens. They didn't build kitchens in the homes. Because they didn't have any women at all even looking <laughs> On at On the it. committee. And we're it all just like, like a, It was like disaster relief homes. Yeah. And they just all ended up living outside the home because they needed a kitchen. That was, or like they, yeah, I was just like, there's so many stories. I know there were so many. And just like the one that got me was the healthcare system. I know. They don't do a lot of tests on women outside of men. And they're like, it's the same. And yeah. We're over here like, uh, no, it's not. We yeah. have completely different hormone cycles and things. Yeah. So like a lot of stuff for like medication, mm-hmm. like the sample groups for like prescription drugs were all male sample groups yep. Um, up until quite recently actually and so many medications are like it's like men but light and so yeah. you know like women are like the light beer of men <laughs> yeah and it, and it's just actually not how it works yeah. and so um that invisible women fantastic read also yeah. um this the moment of lift melinda gates so yeah i would do at least one of those in your next yeah. book club annual list yeah great books both of mm-hmm. them invisible women i'll just end on this is um it is frustrating to read because it's all just based in reality stats across the world. And you're just like, oh my gosh, wake up world, you know, but it is, it's slowly starting to mm-hmm. get there. And in our book club, it was really sweet. The gal that ran ours um, reached out to all the significant others of those who came yes. and had them write letters to help the women, which was really needed. I feel like by the end of that book club, yes, know how special they were uh, to their significant others in their lives and, mm-hmm. and the, um, the difference that they've made in their life. Yes. If that makes sense. Because after oh, reading that I'm book, it was hard. I'm going to cry thinking about that. It was so, We got really sweet letters and things like that. So. Yeah. Those are really emotional to read. And some of us read them out loud and some, most of us just read them to ourselves. But yeah. those are really sweet. Yeah. That was, it made you really grateful because I think that there are so many amazing men who yeah. are making sure that those voices are heard. And those men are 
and you know, they're sponsors for women in their organization, in their community, in their political systems. Like they can sponsor the voices of women mm-hmm. and um, create space. And I know that I've witnessed that. I mean, we talk about growing, you know, living in a really conservative community, but I have had many male sponsors in Utah who have um, helped me to become, you know, like a member of the board of governors and who have asked, helped our company to get featured or you know, and just like my husband is such a great sponsor for me. Every time we meet someone, they always ask him, like, what, what do, you do you do? And he's like, well, my wife runs her own company, yeah. you know, and so he's such a great sponsor for me, too. So, yeah, it's I think it's it needs to be symbiotic. It needs to be like a joint lifting, you know. I've definitely so. seen a shift in having more male advocates, if that's, mm-hmm. you know, for women. And yes, our husbands are both very much on board. And yeah, <laughs> very much. they're like, you won't shut up in the rooftops, but I will, you know, sometimes. Yeah. They're both, they both have a feisty streak, for <laughs> well, sure. Anyways, yeah. but that's, that's just, again, like, we can't stop talking about it. Obviously, it's going to be a good book club slash discussion book. Yes. Read them both. I loved both those books. Yes. So they're worth the chat. Okay. The next one is not an easy breezy one either. <laughs> oh, it's true. We but have another this, nonfiction here. Yes. But this book was Ooh, fascinating. So okay. good. Educated by Tara Westover. Yeah. To give you a backstory, Tara grew up as a fundamentalist Mormon. Mm-hmm. So we both grew up LDS, Latter-day Saints or Mormon, mm-hmm. as a lot of people know it. And um, and Tara's experience was a very extreme version of that. So I feel like we had mm-hmm. pretty normal childhoods, like yeah. very integrated into just American culture broadly. Tara's story was one where they lived in a very kind of secluded area in Idaho. Yeah. And um, and they were much more extreme in their beliefs about like prepping for the end of the world, yeah. limited access to resources. So she had a v- very interesting childhood. Yes, her if I remember, her family owned like a uh, like essential a, oil. Well, that came later. Well, so he had like it's like a dump. Yes, for like, like automobiles. Yes, what, what uh-huh. am I trying like to a junkyard. Yeah, you know, so you can get car parts, things like that. And they were like way up in the mountains, like tiny town very secluded. She, they were all educated at home. So she yes. never set foot in a classroom mm-hmm. at all until she was like 17 or 18, basically. Yes. Like, and that, the story about just how she gets to a classroom is incredibly fascinating. Imagine not knowing anything about the world except what your family told you. Yeah. And what your family told you is very skewed and also very much uh, from the perspective of someone who is almost paranoid. Yeah, right. there's a lot of paranoia in her childhood. Yes, yes. And very unsafe childhood, just across the board. Let me just like that physically out. unsafe because she's Emotionally, in a junkyard. Physically. Like the <laughs> there's things like that, tractors. Yeah. I know, like things that they were asking those kids to do. I'm like, oh, they could easily die. Like collecting scrap metal. And it's very interesting. It was scary. There's a moment where the father probably should have probably passed away in the accident he was in. Yeah. But the mother stepped up. And like healed him with and that's when she started that company, I think. Yeah. Then she started like a, a essential oil company, which I think is pretty successful. I think it's still going. Yeah. I think it's really successful. It's just. um, Oh, yeah. Because her father right here, it says he forbade hospitals. She yes. never saw a doctor or a nurse for any gash, concussion, burns. They had an explosion. Like he was like burned on like 70% of his body. Like yes. it was bad. And she was like, oils will heal it. Yeah. It kind of did. Like, I was like, that's kind of miraculous too. Uh, like the ingenuity yeah. of humans. <laughs> so that's like her childhood. You get the base of where she's coming from, right? Mm-hmm. Then there's these conversations between her and her older brother. Her brother has moved out of the house. And yes. I think he's slowly trying to let her know there is so much more in the world out there. Yes. And you need to see it. And for her at the time, it felt like blasphemy. It was almost like, how dare you? Mm-hmm. This is... Against what we believe. Right. Because your your family is where you learn what the de- definition of safe is. Yeah. And so a lot of times I'm like unpacking your people, unpacking their childhood trauma is like unpacking the toxicity around the word safe, like what does safe mean? And I don't, I think that everybody has a little bit of childhood trauma because that's the point we're all supposed to grow and expand. Yeah. Um, but When you are a child, you learn safety is love and patience and conversation, or you learn it's paranoia, Mm -hmm. it's fear, uh, or you learn it's abuse or like Mm -hmm. you just, you 
associate like your, your normal with what's safe, even if your normal is toxic. And so it's so interesting. She finally um, ends up at BYU in Provo, which is um, where I went to college and graduated. Brigham Young University. Mm -hmm. It's a a private school for, you know, based around the LDS culture. Yes. You don't have to be to go, but. Yes, but you do have to adhere to like the honor code of conduct. Their code of conduct. Mm -hmm. Um, And so she went to BYU and that's where she had these kind of first exposures to um, different, like how her family had a different set of rules than mainstream Mormons. For yeah. example, she just couldn't believe that women would wear short sleeve shirts. Like you need to wear a long sleeve shirt. So very small things like, like immodesty that. was like blowing her mind. Yes. Like her version of what modesty was, right? So interesting. And it's so fascinating. I think at least I'd had this experience. At some point, all of us had that moment where we're like, was my family not normal? You know, because like what is totally. normal other than we all have those moments where we step outside of our family to realize, oh, what normal was for me was actually toxic or not safe or that you weren't shamed your whole life or. Yes. No, I've had that experience with many of my friends, actually. It's so bad when you swap yeah. stories kind of after high school. Yeah. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, that'll probably come back to me, you know? Totally. And she definitely has so many of those as she's at BYU. Mm-hmm. The one that got me was... uh She's like in a history class. She's like learning about the Civil War and World War II for the very first time. She never yes. even heard of a Holocaust. She didn't know it even existed. I'm trying to remember. She asked a question and everyone thought she was joking. Like, what is the Holocaust? Like, she said something. I think she did ask that question specifically. Like, she had no clue. Yeah. Because that wasn't taught at home, right? And yeah. so that kind of stuff. So I love the journey because once she finally gets out and is like, oh my gosh, I know nothing of the world and what's been going on in the world. Yeah. She just develops this thirst for knowledge and wants to learn. And she does. She, lo- I love it because the story after that is really one where she reclaims herself, yes. separates herself a little bit from their family and goes on to get multiple degrees across the world. Yes. At some of the most prestigious, prestigious colleges. <laughs> institutions. Yeah. It's true. She does. She becomes very much, a, it's a book of reclamation. I think that's the perfect way mm-hmm. to describe it. And it is just so interesting. And and I think it's interesting from like a perspective of just like watching another human's life. She just has a very interesting life yeah. to witness. Um, but I think it's particularly interesting for us growing up in, you know, a Mormon culture and also um, in the area of Idaho. Like, you know. Oh, yeah, we had people who were like, I grew up right next to that town. Yeah, there's people who were like, oh, yeah, they live like 30 minutes from where I, yeah. I live. And they were like in book club. So it was just, it was a kind of a fun experience yeah. for us. Um, it was also fun because I went to BYU the same time as her or close to the same time mm-hmm. as her. And so, um, yeah, it was like, she did mention, one thing I loved, I, we can kind of end with this, but one of my favorite moments was when she just talked about um Looking back, she had obviously the perspective of way more knowledge. And she looked back at her old roommates and she was like, I wish I would have been kinder to my roommates because they really taught me some of the basic things about how to be a human, like how or uh, how to be healthy, like how to wash my hands or how to shower often or how to do dishes. And um, it was just really beautiful how she had such humility about those moments mm-hmm. and was like grateful in retrospect mm-hmm. for the things that those women taught her. Cause I can imagine that would kind of be frustrating in both directions. So oh, yeah. she just, she really approached the book, I think from a place of like uh, reclamation and love. That's a good, good way to put it. Yeah. I like, it says educated is an account of the struggle for self invention. And I like that as well. Cause she does, she's completely like, I got to start from scratch here and yeah. decide it. 18. Well, who do I want to be and what do I want to learn and how am I going to go about this? And she really goes into the world all by herself and figures it out. Yeah. Oh, it's a beautiful book. It's a good book. We all five-starred that one, if I remember right. Like we all really enjoyed this one. Yes. It's so great. And it's very uplifting. Um, it's not, I've read some books where I'm all, that was just so heavy the whole way through. Like, oh yeah. Um, I'm all, most Oprah book club books that I ever read. I was Honestly, like, oh yeah. man, that was it. I know. <laughs> I stopped reading them to be fair. Others, but. Yeah. I'm like, there's a category of books that I'm just like, they don't, they, the redeeming qualities are so few and far between. But some people like horror. I think some people yeah. love living in that space. Yeah. 
We'll call them where the crawdad sings people. (laughs) (laughs) The human struggle, right? Yeah. Because I love books that have that. You have to have that in your books, but you got to have some redeeming factors, you know, like for me anyway, lightness for me to keep. It's not even lightness, just like a point. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, if the plot is suffering, I don't love it. But if the plot is something like redemption or, or like hope or like perseverance, you know, it's like my favorite book is the nightingale. And I'm all, that's a very tragic book and also very redeeming. Yeah. Cause they have such a good balance. Yes. I was well, like, that's our, that is our TED talk on why <laughs> depressing books need to have purpose. <laughs> Let's move along. I know this one's fun. Number 18. Yep. Um, so we're moving out of nonfiction. And this is the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society by Mary yes. Ann Schaefer and Annie Barrows. We wanted to interrupt this podcast to tell you about a very important event that is happening at LitJoyCrate.com. Oh my gosh, tell us. I know. On on February 21st, Lunicorns will get early access to the Vampire Academy Collector's Edition box set. So this box set is gorgeous. It has features we've never done before, which we always try and do something a little special. But this one is Pretty epic. Um, it drops on February 21st to Lunicorns, and it opens to the public on the 22nd. And if you're like, Alex, what's a Lunicorn? I can tell you. <laughs> a Lunicorn is our nickname for our membership group. Our membership group is a group of readers just like you, but they come back to LitJoy and get extra perks. So they have early access. There's Lunicorn exclusive items. Mm-hmm. There's extra Lunicorn discounts. And we have a, a Facebook membership group where we do lives and we reveal product ahead of time, where we ask a bunch of questions or feedback on what product we want or they want us to do. So it's kind of just like this really cool book club, nerdy book club yeah. that we have at LitJoy. So make sure to check out our Lunicorns membership. It's titled membership at the top of our website. And if you're just here for Vampire Academy, it opens to the public on the 22nd. So, oh, so excited for this. Yes, me too. Very short title. And <laughs> succinct. Yeah. It's actually kind of a joke in the book yeah. because, yes, anyways, carry on. <laughs> this book is, we loved this book for book club. They were Darling. so beautiful. And if I can say it right, it's written in, uh, okay, so it's letter format, but I can never say it correctly. It pissed. we'll figure that out but it's written in letter format in the book there is now a movie that's out that's also beautiful it's so cute i love it it's one of my favorites it's on netflix yes that's right Mm -hmm. um anyway so this one's great because for those of you who love books obviously this is a good one because you're getting the letter format back and forth between this gal who works for like a news station or no she's a writer but I thought she worked for some. So she's a writer. Yes. It, it, when World War II happened, she sold her books. And one of the oh. books, she, she sold her book. She got rid of her books because, and, um, okay. So oh, okay. She, That's right. she wrote under a pen name, which mm-hmm. was a male pen name during the war. And this is post-World War II. And then she, um, she donated her books or got rid of them during World War II. That's right. And on Guernsey in their library, this book club mm-hmm. of misfits, in the well, no, they were a, a fun bunch. Yeah. They um, found her book and her note in the beginning of it, and they he one of the gentlemen in the book club wrote a letter to her asking for more books so that they could continue their book club because he lived on the island of Guernsey and she lived in London and yeah. she had access. So she found a new book or a couple books. She sent them to him, and then they continued their relationship, pen pal relationship. And then of course she goes to Guernsey, mm. and the rest ensues. It's just it's. I feel like it has the um, the stakes are high with World War Two, mm-hmm. and um, so I I feel like it's one of those World War Two historical fictions that is very redeeming and um, digestible. Yeah, it's just this great adventure that you get to follow along with it because you feel like you're there writing the letters back and forth and and getting to experience that relationship grow. Mm-hmm. So when she actually goes out to Guernsey. Uh, you know, it's this really darling little island, basically, just off of the uh, south of England. We should go there this year. I would love that. Okay. I'm all, I know a lot about it because after reading the book, I looked up like all the locations they yeah. mentioned, like the little chapel and everything. And um, so when she gets there, you know, and she gets to meet this man who becomes a love interest, you know, you're just like so along for the ride because you feel 100% connected. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, you get to experience what why they created this 
potato pill pie society book club, right? They get together and that's like all they had to share was like this potato pie, Mm -hmm. which was like the shavings of the potato and just potatoes and like trying to make it into something edible basically. Yep. And they, where they gathered to talk about books, but but during World War II, it was very risky. They weren't supposed to be gathering. So they gathered and essentially um, in order to be approved by the Nazis, because it's a Nazi occupied Guernsey, they had to make it like an official club. Mm-hmm. So they started a book club, which I was like, book clubs could save the world. <laughs> you really can't. I mean, obviously, there's a lot more going into the story that we're not talking about yeah. that cr- makes the stakes even higher. But um, we had so much fun with this one. Such we, a good feel good. Yes. Moment. So we'll move on. But it was another book club where we cr- recreated some of the letters and everyone has a little piece of that that they took home. And I keep mine in my book. It's like a letter from Guernsey. And that's darling. It was really sweet. <laughs> But uh, another really, really memorable one that uh, members from my book club still talk about. I love it. So, or you can go watch the movie. It's it's just different because it's not the same letter format. Yeah. Both are great. So, I love it. You're okay. on, 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 on. I love it. Okay. Number 19 on the list. <gasps> this one is just so feel good. I'm and all fuzzy and warm. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> it is not. It's not. It's The Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood. Thanks, Marge. And <laughs> this book is one that I think everyone should read. It's an important book. It's It's an important book. It's also like infuriating and dark. Oh my gosh. But it's super important. Yeah. And also we had a good time with book club. So knowing it was really dark in book club, many of us dressed up like handmaids or handmaidens from, from like the TV series. All red robed. Yeah. With like the white and essentially it's kind of a post-apocalyptic or like a dystopian where society has put into place some very toxic rules. Well, like nobody's having babies. Right. So like that's the main issue is that nobody's able to get pregnant and have babies. So how do you further your species in a sense? Yes. Except there's very, very select few who seem to still be able to. Who are still fertile. So they lose all rights. They become the handmaids mm-hmm. and they essentially have are in charge of getting impregnated. Yeah. But and then their babies are given to the families. And there's yeah. like fascinating st- social oh structures in place. And fear is the driving force yeah. of the culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was very interesting to discuss in book club to talk about like how far away from this are we? I think we discussed this yeah. like right in an election year or something. So everyone was like, oh my gosh, the world's coming to an end. And I was like, yeah, well, you know, <laughs> let's not get too dramatic, but maybe. <laughs> it was. It's just frustrating because uh, all the women aren't allowed to like have their own last names if I remember. Well, yeah, none of the women have rights in this book. So it's like zero rights. Like you don't this, have your this name. This episode's really feminist themed. I'm, I just I'm discovering, but we didn't mean to. <laughs> Whoops a daisy. We'll but... spread our feminism out more evenly <laughs> next time. Yeah. It, it so they don't even have names. They don't have rights. They're like sent to these like schools to learn certain things. Schools. Like, to really you know give them the dogma of what they were supposed to be. Like the propaganda. Yes. You know, and you cannot stray because there's people on the lookout everywhere. It kind of yeah, reminds you'll be me, like hanged. It's like in the fifties where they're like looking for communists or something. Yes. It has that feeling like yes. you're not safe. Someone's going to turn you in at any time kind of feeling. Very much so. And also like tell like tattle on someone first before you get like, it feels very Salem witch trials to mm-hmm. me where it's like, it's something that got way out of hand because the fear of being turned in cause you to be paranoid and turn in other people to like try and protect yourself. Yeah. There's also like, these very bizarre rituals around like hanging people and sex. And it is just a fascinating look at what humanity could be through the lens of Margaret Atwood. Like she's like, this is a toxic dystopian future. Yeah. But I felt like the discussion was fascinating and I felt like it, we made it really entertaining with like costuming and the food was really fun. I just, I think that, if you take this book club and you kind of create like discussions around culture, it was really interesting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And for those of you who are brave enough, you can watch the TV series. That's, I got through two episodes. <laughs> I, I think I I don't think I even finished the first season. It, this book is hard to read because it is so infuriating to imagine mm-hmm. being reality and then to witness it in the show, which was 
phenomenal in regards to the acting and in the casting. Yeah. I was like, I can't, like I was losing it. Yeah. yeah. So frustrating. Like, obviously no rights. I was and like, my- you're being farmed out for your ovaries and your, you know, reproductive your system. lady bits I'm a, yeah <laughs> what do you call lady them bits. i'm like my delicate constitution could just not handle the like visuals your womb maybe that's the yes. womb so it's and just as a quick example like only the rich even have access to these handmaidens to possibly have a child and the wife is in the room while it's You're happening like, we're going into it we're with, going into it yeah because like he's there and it's like this very supposedly sacred spiritual moment and they read something from like the bible and then he literally just like she's just like on the bed and the wife is behind holding her hands do you remember this it's so weird and then, yes i remember and then he it. like and then like they do the act you know like it's all supposed to be this very tight construction religious moment and the whole time i'm just like how does that well how would you be able to go as the man in that situation? I don't know. Somehow, that was where I went. I'm all ha- somehow he, horrible. The whole thing. Somehow they all just like <laughs> he's just like I'm open a prayer. <laughs> but that's like the circumstance of like one part of what I'm saying. Oh like, yeah, the, it's just like what I know. Whoa. It's fascinating. And also, what's so interesting is like it's an uncomfortable book to read, but it's iconic. Yeah, like people love reading this book, and it. In the same way that I think people love reading like Fahrenheit 451 Mm -hmm. or Animal Farm or any George Orwell books in general. So like 1984, loved 19... Like I remember being in fifth grade and reading 1984 and being like, oh my gosh. Like now I understand like, you know, what humanity is capable of. I understand like dystopian. I understand, you know, his take on communism because he was so anti-communist, you Mm -hmm. know. It's just fascinating because i feel like um that's what the handmaid's tale does is it takes you to like the fringe of what humanity is capable of i think that's also why people love learning about cults is because i think cults do that thing where they take humanity to the fringe you know Mm -hmm. which is just super interesting to learn about and i think because we love psychology so much we're both like we love hate this (laughs) yeah i mean that's why i like wuthering heights i'm all it's the worst and it's the best because it's toxic it's twisted and our psychology brains kick in right and yeah we just want to dive into it and analyze them all this book i was just so mad but <laughs> underneath that i was definitely analyzing that society and well it was interesting I, it but again i like fantastic it. discussion and especially if you do a book club about it you'll be talking for hours and hours hours okay we have two final books both books that i have left here we have talked about before yep but it's because they made such good book we loved them great discussion so number 20 is wonder by rj palacio and this one oh my gosh i loved the book when i first read it and then the book club just made me love it even more we did so many fun things. This is actually yeah. right around when I first started to get to know Alex. It was my second or third book club. Yeah. It was, it was, I, I joined Kelly's book club, um, you know, about 10 years already in yeah. or something like that. So, um, and it's a YA slash middle grade um, contemporary and it's a realistic fiction, I think mm-hmm. is what it's categorized as. And it's about Augie, who is this little mm-hmm. You know, this little boy, he's born in Manhattan. His family is in New York. And he has um, a genetic uh, abnormality Mm -hmm. that makes his face, it's an actual um, real abnormality. It makes his face look and appear different than what an average, you know, child would look like. And because of that, it it just, it's written kind of from his perspective Mm -hmm. and his experience in going to school for the first time and how nervous he is and how nervous his parents are and Mm -hmm. the different reactions of children because he's a very intelligent child. And it kind of illustrates that if we judge people by the way they look, we're missing important parts of who they are. Yeah. And I just think that's a universal lesson. Yeah. But the way that R.J. Palacio writes it is with such heart. It just, it was really beautiful. This is one of those middle grade titles that I'm like, this transcends age. Yes. I recommend it to everyone, any age. She did a beautiful job of illustrating a character who naturally has so much empathy because he's different. Yeah. And so he he's just, he's going into fifth grade. 
is, and that's a rough age. I feel like just going that's through your first rough. time. And it, he's famous for wearing his little helmet. He has like astronaut helmet. Yeah. Cause it covers his face, you know? And, uh, he wears it. Does he wear it the first day of school kind of thing? And then I think, slowly takes it yeah, off. Yeah, he's asked to, yeah, and he has to take yeah. it off. Um, it's really sweet. The, the other characters that he's introduced to is the other reason I love this book so much. The, the friends he makes and yes. even enemies. And you learn throughout the story why they were bullying. And you get that perspective on mm-hmm. top of being the guy, you know, Augie, who was bullied. And the empathy that he has for his own bully. Yeah. Oh, it's so beautiful. And like the quotes in this book are numerous. So many beautiful moments. Um, I think the overall overall arcing theme is just that of kindness. You know, we yes. talk about that one a lot. And this book has been adapted into a picture book, a graphic novel, a movie. So yeah. I would recommend all of them. I know. It was so beautifully done in the movie too, with Owen Wilson and Julia Roberts as the parents. Yes. Oh. They did a great job. Um, one thing too about this film is or about this book is um for book club, I think it it lends to like a really beautiful discussion talking about all the different perspectives. And then also one thing we did is we did research um, his the um, we researched what his condition was like, how it happens. So it was fun because we got to go through like kind of the medical explanation. Mm-hmm. And then we also got to do kind of like an elementary school lunch. And so we did like a bagged lunch as kind of like the food for it. So Mm -hmm. it was kind of like we went back to school. It's fun to do this one kind of um, like in August, September Mm -hmm. um, for book clubs, like back to school kind of a theme. And so it was really special. We made it like a like a really holistic immersive. Yeah, immersive. Um, This also reminds me we had another new member who had come for the first time and she had a really unique perspective. So Erica, a friend of Mm -hmm. ours. Um, has been a foster mom to children with different disabilities. Mm-hmm. And I remember her discussion uh, and the things that she brought up were so wonderful because she just talked about what it's like to live with children that might have different disabilities or look different or act different and what they truly want and need, you know, versus what we think, we sh- how we should be acting mm-hmm. around them. And it was a really human discussion where we're all like, thank you for giving us that perspective. Because she's like, so many times people will look and try to hurry and look away because they don't want to offend. Yeah. But they just want to be seen. They just want someone to come up and be like, hi, what's your name? Yeah. And just be friendly, you know, which I mean, I would love to say that I'm that type of person, but I don't, I'm looking back on my life. I'm like, did I do that thing? You know, you kind of go through that spiral a little bit, but mm-hmm. all I can do moving forward is try to do better. And again, that's, I feel like so much of the message of the book, but that lent to that incredible discussion where we just kind of got to hear other perspectives as well and then we all wrote down our favorite quotes from the book and shared them and yeah we think we had like a like a recess for a minute it was really fun just book club in general yep but that book will always have a place in my heart it's um it really touched me and it's one i think about a lot yeah so okay beautiful let's move on to our last one awesome Illuminate Files, Amy Kaufman and Jay Kristoff. So good. We had to get a sci-fi. I know. They're just, they're so rad. Okay. So Illuminate (laughs) Files is awesome. The format of this book is essentially there is a intergalactic war criminal trial happening, like a war council. What's it called when they do those war crime trials? Um, Well, that sounds good. You got it. You get the point. You get the details. Um, Essentially, this book is a stack of documents that they're reviewing Mm. in the trial. So it includes like uh, emails back and forth between characters, chats, like Mm -hmm. chatting. It includes like digital artwork. It includes like there's artwork in the book. It includes um, it includes like uh, descriptions of camera like like uh, security cameras and like the description of the footage on the security cameras. So essentially the whole plot of the story is pieced together with this stack of files. And the formatting of the book is gorgeous because it is actually looks like files and it looks like official records and documents. So it's just, it is a totally immersive experience. Mm -hmm. The reason I love this for book club is because just the format alone lends to like great discussion about like what moments like made you feel, um, you know, like sadness or what moments yeah. were you super surprised by or um, it also the audiobook is great. Oh, yeah. It's like a full cast of characters and sound effects. Yeah. 
Um, it reminds me of like an old like radio show, like back when the kids would turn on the radio to hear what was next in the story. Mm -hmm. It has that like feel to it where you're getting like the blasts in the background and the different male and female voices and the robot comes on. and, And so the full cast audio was amazing. But as Alex mentioned, you kind of have to have the books because there's so many visuals inside that yes. enhance your experience. For sure. And we love a curated experience. Yeah, we do. That's kind of our jam. <laughs> so yeah, book in front of you, reading it, plus the um the audio. The audio. And one thing that's fun about this book club is okay, so for it, I got like these files that had multiple like folder files in them. They were and I put in like, you know, different discussion questions and like quizzes and things like that as so I made it try and look kind of like the file from the book mm-hmm. um so that was kind of a fun thing we did for book club but also Jay and Amy skyped in and that was actually just really really cool of them to do that yeah we got really lucky with that and um, we kind of found a few of these New York Times bestselling authors right at the beginning of their their career and we were able to invite them to book club so that was kind of one of those fun ones. And then Illuminate just like took off. Nevernight took off, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but that was fun. That was way cool. I mean, they're Australian-based authors. So I'm sure the time difference was a little rough on them to meet with us. It, but was, it was a little early. Early for them probably or yeah. super late. I can't remember. But um, they're so kind. And, oh, they were awesome. And that's what's crazy with my book club. I've always been like very surprised to find if you just reach out to authors, like a lot of times they're really willing to talk with you. Like they yeah, because they talk. love books and huh. they love writing. So so that was great um, to be able to speak with them about the book and to kind of gush about it. Yeah. I'm going to read the quick summary because I love it. Do this it. book is a hard one to summarize. So I was like, I'm just going to read off here. But well, I feel like I did it great in the last 10 minutes. <laughs> you did. You really sold me on wanting to listen to the audio and buy the books, which you should do. Says this morning, Katie thought breaking up with Ezra was going to be the hardest thing that she'd have to do. This afternoon, her planet was invaded. The year is 2575, and two rival megacorporations are at war over a planet that's little more than a speck at the edge of the universe. Now, with enemy fire raining down on them, Katie and Ezra, who are barely even talking to each other, are forced to evacuate with a hostile warship in hot pursuit. Yes. And then, obviously, lots of characters. I want to go back and reread it. That was so fun. (laughs) All right. Well, that is our full list, currently, of 21 books for great discussion, for book clubs, you did it. Okay, let's get did started. It. And please make sure to rate and review us. It makes it possible for us to keep doing the podcast. And it's really fun to connect with all of you. And like a good book, recommend us to your friends. 